Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X Talks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by special guest Eric Typoli. CTO of Centera, a global leader delivering time-sensitive agricultural insights that optimize decisions and improve outcomes. So Eric, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks very much for having me. So first, let's just jump right into it. So can you describe the journey of Centera in becoming a leader in agricultural technology and what role has innovation played in this journey? Well, we took a kind of an unusual route into food and agriculture. I, I would describe our founding team as kind of uh, a group of refugees that grew up in the defense and aerospace industry, um, had a wonderful time building small drones for that vertical. And uh, about 12 years ago, the team was approached by a, a strategic partner that understood the implications of what remote sensing, what IoT, and what the emerging field of machine learning and data science, um, what the opportunity would be for food and agriculture. And 12 years ago, frankly, we could not have probably conceived of what the world would look like in 2024. It's It's been much more spectacular, much more rewarding than maybe we even would have hoped. And our story really is a story about innovation and bringing insights that are built around data, bringing new pools of data and new ways of thinking about how data can be leveraged to produce better economic outcomes, sustainability outcomes for customers all along the way. All right. So how does Sintera's technology specifically cater to the needs of growers and the agricultural community? Well, it operates in a few different ways. Food, food production and agriculture is one of the largest, if not the largest, industry in the world. It's something like a $2 trillion end-to-end -end market. And there is technology transformation, digital transformation happening all the way through the value stream from the way crops are bred, the way ingredients components are identified for food products, to the way food is processed, the way, the way it is distributed, the logistics tail, and Sentara participates to some degree in most of those components of the value stream, but the technologies that we deliver, the data pools on which we operate tend to be centered around the farm field. That doesn't mean that our customer is necessarily the grower. It's, it's a stakeholder that may exist when we call downstream, which is towards the dinner table, or maybe upstream, which is a landowner or a crop uh, seed producer or an inputs producer sometimes. But generally what we're doing is developing insights that are taken from this very uh, disorganized, very messy, very noisy environment, which is a farm field. And we're synthesizing and cleaning up those data pools and using uh, tools like generative AI, tools like machine learning and deep learning to develop better insights for the stakeholder that's interested in what's happening on that farm field. So in what ways, like you started to mention, is generative AI currently being used within the agricultural sector? Well, for us, I can, I can, I can speak 
mostly to what Sentara is doing. And there are, there are a few different ways. I think one of the things, my background is, is kind of classical. I'm a, a hardcore signal processing engineer, um, and written software to control airplanes, do things where we probably get very uncomfortable about AI creeping in to, to some of those tasks. So I'm, I'm kind of, um, I think in terms of generative AI or AI in general, I can, I can be both a little bit skeptical and really excited at the same time. So in, in the context of Sentara, there are really two families of, of use cases for us. Number one, and I think this is happening in a lot of industries, the way that users interact with our tools is being rapidly transformed by generative AI. And that's specifically around things like natural language processing. So one of the one of the challenges that all of all of us who are who are attempting to synthesize these vast pools of data and produce insights, it's it's oftentimes very hard to work with the tools that we produce. So Sentara's Sentara's analytics products very powerful if if the if the user knows how to use them. And what generative AI is allowing us to do is instead of relying on a customer to understand how to write a Python script or how to write an SQL query. A customer can in natural language come up to our platform and say, show me the impact of reduced rainfall in Iowa over the years 2021 to 2023. And they can express it in exactly those words. And we can use generative AI tools to transform that on the back end into the appropriate queries and the appropriate API calls to generate that insight for the customers. So as you can imagine, that lowers the barrier to use of our tools. And that makes it addressable a lot more, a lot more rapidly, um, actually a little bit less error prone, although there are, there are risks that come alongside that. So it makes the tools easier to use. And that's really from a user perspective. The other principal use case is in the development of our own tools. So one of the uh, primary products that that we build is a uh, CVML tool that identifies weeds in a field from aerial imagery. The imagery is captured from a drone, then we map out where the wheels up, where the weeds are in the field, and a sprayer goes through the field and it doesn't spray the crops, it just sprays the weeds. In a nutshell, well, we synthesize a ton, millions and millions of acres of data synthetically to help train our machine learning models to help it recognize weeds at different times of the day by moving you know, the sun, by moving the, the distance between rows where crops are planted, by changing the way the soil looks. And we're doing all that by synthesizing synthetic environments to augment the real data that we go through and label and annotate with, with human beings. And using generative AI tools, that process becomes much, much easier and much quicker and therefore much cheaper, and we can bring a product to market at an equivalent level of performance faster and have confidence that it's going to work more robustly across all those different environments. So those are the two places that we see the most use. I would say as we talk to customers and, and we think about, we produce, we produce sensor products at Sentara and the way our customers are taking the data that comes off of those sensors and using generative AI tools to augment. I don't know of a single strategic customer that isn't right now actively engaged in deploying tools like GPT-4 and similar into their workflows. And do you think that maybe the ones that aren't will uh, fall behind a little bit? The ones that have some resistance won't last? I think it's 
hazardous to ignore the benefits that these tools, these generative AI tools are going to bring because the productivity enhancements that they deliver will be so compelling. It will be almost impossible to be competitive without taking advantage of these advanced technologies. And I think realistically, any, any enterprise that is serious about being in machine learning, deep learning, delivering a platform to their customers and making that platform economically competitive has to be looking at these tools. I think we're all clear-eyed about the state of the industry. I think we're all clear-eyed about some of the risks that come with over-deployment of AI, but the benefits are so compelling that they can't be ignored. So could you share um, some further insights on how Sentara's approach to data analytics and AI differs from, differs from some of your competitors? I think I think we are, Sentara, because it is a data analytics company, has been very aggressive with the deployment of ML tooling in general, and that applies to generative AI as well. So I know that in areas like autonomous vehicles where there's a tremendous amount of investment flowing in. We know things that like generative AI to promote unsupervised learning where humans don't have to go and label data. Um, the machine essentially can recognize clusters of training data itself, or at least it can cluster and then humans can do a limited amount of, of supervision of the learning process. Those are more prevalent, but I know in food and agriculture versus our competitors, we have quite an advanced tool chain and we employ more unsupervised learning techniques. Um, we are a little bit more sophisticated in terms of our data curation and labeling than the industry average uh, in food and agriculture. And so we've, we've tried to be mindful of our role as a deployer of trusted insights. First and foremost, we, we have to be able to provide the assurance and the, and the assurance of integrity around the insights that we produce. But we also are in charge in a lot of cases of helping our customers leverage and stay at the front end of these tools and technologies and understanding where they are appropriate and where they perhaps are best left to future discussion. Now, how would you say, um, you know, based on your experience, that generative AI, how is it contributing to the food industries and agriculture industries' efforts to address major challenges like like climate change and other agricultural challenges? Well, I think that's a that's a fantastic example. The work around promotion of sustainability and promotion around climate change, it's a great example of where generative AI or machine learning and deep learning, maybe more generally AI technologies can really serve. So I've become convinced over the last few years where we've, where we've made these tools really at the front of our strategy that what really is happening with the emergence of AI is it's accelerating the primacy of data pools. So we used to, in this, in this business, we used to think that differentiation was established via number one, the data pools to which I have access. And number two, the quality of the insights that I can produce based on those data pools. And so you had kind of the, the data and then how good is the data science team? And what generative AI is doing is it's leveling the field for the data science side of it. We still need experts 
But because generative AI is making those experts more and more productive on an individual basis, the data becomes more and more important. That's the real differentiator. So when we look at these macro challenges like global sustainability, reacting to climate change, delivering agronomic insights maybe to smallholder growers in sub-Saharan Africa or areas of the world that maybe haven't been able to drive as much attention from these data insights tools. It is really all about the data and climate data is generally it's a public data source. These are institutionally or government owned assets, generally space-based that are producing petabytes of data around climate around all the factors that drive climate around land use and that data is very high quality it's there for the taking it's there for the analysis and so uh customers or, or rather startups that are active in the climate space have been some of the most interesting and the most compelling drivers of climate-based insights we just we just spoke with a startup uh, it's a series B startup in the space that is showing that using a, a AI or a machine learning based climate prediction tool, they're able to deliver weather forecasts with an accuracy 13 days out that used to be associated with a weather forecast, you know, five days out. And we all know what weather forecasts look like to be able to, to be able to predict the weather with that kind of fidelity two weeks out is pretty amazing. But what they can also do is sift through on longer time cycles and they can identify regions of the earth that 20 years from now or 30 years from now are more likely or less likely to be producing a certain crop at a at a higher or a lower productivity level. They can look for areas around the globe that are going to be subject to precipitation volatility or more temperature volatility or even less temperature volatility. And the size of the data pools and the the tools to go and address data pools that size really without machine learning, deep learning, these would be intractable problems. I don't think we would be able to attack them anytime in the near future. Now, obviously, um, you know, the use of generative AI in all industries is a relatively new phenomenon. So um, can you tell me what some of the challenges were in terms of incorporating uh, generative AI in um, you know, in agriculture and how the industry addressed these or can address them going forward? Sure. It's, it's been a real challenge. I think there's a philosophical discussion almost on you know, what is the nature of intelligence. And I think if people, folks who are familiar with the AI space and familiar with the terminology um, have, have probably been introduced to the term hallucinations. An AI hallucination is when I think I've got a large language model that is approaching this generalized state of competence, generalized state of intelligence. And then all of a sudden it is given a question and it comes up with a grammatically correct answer. That's utter nonsense, utter nonsense. And that in, in every industry, but, but especially in food and agriculture, it really, it really serves as a serves notice about the limitations of these tools. And I think the way I've come to view for now, the state of AI and the state of generative AI is that it is making an expert more productive, but it is not by any means eliminating the expert. And I, I think that's generally true of most technologies. So the, the things I've talked about earlier, 
if I want to query a database or I want to understand statistically how has how has one variable impacted another as as an expert which I'm not claiming to be an expert but if I were an expert and I could des describe those things in natural language and I could get the answer back maybe I've just saved myself two or three hours of writing software or or doing something to to get that answer and that's huge maybe I maybe I've saved two hours of labor being able to do that but I think the challenge is not to overreach and then not to think that I, I am ready to put that level of power into the hands of a user that doesn't understand the implications. And it comes back to being able to recognize a hallucination, being able to recognize, okay, this saved me a lot of time, but I need to be able to reach in and see how did it get to that answer? Is it an appropriate statistical method? Did it treat the data pool appropriately? Because for all the power that exists inside of these tools, there is still the room for error. There is still room for the model not to have been told something that's important that we might all think just as, as humans, common sense, this is really important, but the model doesn't know that. So the challenge for us has been to responsibly deploy these tools, understand how they are creating value, but not to overextend their deployment in a way that actually delivers a negative result for a user. because. Nobody wants to save money getting to the wrong answer. Right. And no one wants to be fearful of their, you know, hard-earned careers either. That's, I think that's also important too. So in terms of your role, you know, as CTO, what have been your most significant challenges and, but also achievements in developing um, in, uh, Sintera's technology? Sintera is injecting digital technology AI-based insights, machine learning-based insights into an industry that is not digitally native. There is a tremendous amount of technological, technical sophistication in food and agriculture around genetics, around breeding, around crop management, around chemistry, fertility, biology, a lot of things about which I know very little. But we are here to bring digital tooling in to assist each of those processes. And the challenge for us has been learning to speak in our customer's language enough to understand their problems and to be able to express solutions in a language that allows them to take advantage of what we do. Well, and, and essentially serving as a translation layer for digital insights into the customer's domain. And I've spoken to uh, it's been very interesting to talk to to peer companies that exist in IoT that might be um, in manufacturing or or automation or logistics, and the challenges are not dissimilar. Um, in some ways, agriculture is really it is a manufacturing industry, except that the factory does not have a roof on it, and that's both the challenge and the opportunity around agriculture is it's manufacturing that occurs in an uncontrolled environment. So we're bringing in a lot of the value that comes from Internet of Things, that comes from SCADA or our other manufacturing automations or ERP tooling, but we're doing it in a very wild environment from a, from a data management perspective in a very uncontrolled environment and an uncontrollable environment, which is different than a lot of other industries. I used to work in, a, in an industry and used to work for a company that built airplanes. And nobody is ever going to contemplate building an airplane in a factory that doesn't have a roof. It'd be 
uncontrollable. No one would ever want to do it. And I think if a farmer could put a roof over a field and achieve the same outcome, they would do it in a heartbeat. But they can't. And that's that's both the, like I said, that's both the challenge and that's the opportunity. So how do you think things have changed um, in the past decade? And then how do you think things will change in terms of um, technology in the decade to come? Well, I think that the, the degree to which we've developed sort of the predicate layer, the first layer of insights that are necessary to truly deploy AI-based insights to the field, I think that's just getting into place now. It's remarkable just to look back over the last 10 years and see Today, a farm field, very likely, we can we can establish a record, obviously, of the weather on an hourly basis, every second, how much precipitation, daily highs and lows, what was the what was the temperature, when did it freeze, when did it rain? Um, we can but we can also understand down to centimeter level accuracy, which seed and where did that seed go into the dirt? Um, exactly what happened? what chemicals were applied to the field. We've got a digital record now of farm fields, and at least in Europe or, or in North America. That's very common now where it was almost out of the question 10 years ago. So what that's given us is it's given us this data pool, this massive data record to say, this: these are the activities that happened. And then corresponding to that, we have at the same level of granularity, this square yard or this square meter of dirt how many years of corn came off of this square meter versus the square meter that you know might be 100 yards away in the same field. And so we know what the outcome is. We know what the quality looks like as well. So we have, we have an output and then we have the series of conditions that went into the input. So we have this almost perfect data pool now and a massively growing data pool to say, well, what caused that? Was it the combination of environmental factors, a combination of management practices, combination of genetics? And right now, there are billions and billions of dollars being spent to spin up AI tools to go back and look at that and find the causal elements of that so that a grower might be able to get a better recommendation of one type of seed versus the other based on the conditions, not just for that field, but for that 10 or 20 square meter area of that field. So we're really just at the very beginnings of that, which is is pr principally around availability of data without the data you can't do any of this and that infrastructure is sort of in place now where it wasn't 10 years ago and last question for you but what advice would you give to upcoming tech professionals who want to contribute to um agricultural tech um and and this growing and very burgeoning and fascinating field well i can't recommend it strongly enough first of all this this part of my career to see these technologies converging, you know, this is, this sometimes feels like it's just been a step change in the last few years with the release of GPT-3 and GPT-4 and so much advancement. Taking maybe a step back, this has really been slow and steady progress over decades, but I can't think of a more exciting time really in, at least in this part of the field this around Generative AI, the broader deep learning, machine learning, the emergence of these fantastic uh, pieces of silicon, the NVIDIA silicon, um, the tooling around it. There's so much potential that will be unlocked in the next five or 10 years. It's, it's almost incredible. So what I'd say to somebody who's, who's getting into it, 
um, you know, get get that get the fundamentals down, have a solid understanding from a from the perspective of information management and data management, get a good solid background in things like probability and statistics and so forth. Really understand the dollar flows and the economic flows in the industry, and then dive in. There are so many pools of data just waiting to have their secrets unlocked. And I cannot imagine where we will be 10 years from now. Literally, I can't imagine, but I'm really excited to find out. Me too. Well, thank you so much for joining. This was such an interesting conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. That's the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.